Hello and welcome to A Pivotal Moment, a podcast series about ordinary people who made extraordinary decisions, both in their business and personal lives. In this episode, I'll be talking to Amber Rowan, who developed alopecia at the age of 15. As you would expect for any teen, this had a huge emotional impact. Amber, however, went on to become a successful model, actress, and entrepreneur. In this episode, I talked to her about the determination which led to her ultimate success. Amber, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Perhaps as we start off, you might tell me a little bit about your background, family, school, your childhood. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's a wonderful um, wonderful platform to be able to tell my story. And yeah, so I am an Irish girl, born bred. Uh, I'm from Clontarf. I grew up in the same house that my family still live in today. We live by the sea, which I never actually took full advantage of when I actually used to live in Dublin. And when I go back there, it's the first place I go. I go for a walk in the dunes with my, with my dog, who now has only three legs, which is a bit sad. Me and my partner and my fiancé, as soon as we get back to Dublin, we go and we walk down to the beach and to the dunes and get a nice cup of coffee. He maybe jumps in the sea. I don't because I'm terrified. Um, I went to school in town. I have one brother, one sister, a beautiful mother and a fantastic father. And yeah, we're a really close-knit family. I miss them a lot. I've been living in London now for 10 years, but we're still very close. I think that's one great thing about this day and age is that, you know, they never feel too far away. They're always a FaceTime away. I'm now actually working with my dad. So we're always nearly every single day chatting to each other about personal stuff and work stuff as well. So we still have our fantastic bond, even though I'm, I'm not living back at home in Ireland. But as I mentioned, I adore Ireland. And who knows, maybe one day I might move back. Who knows? But for now, I just love being able to go home. It's an hour and a half away from, from London. And it's just great to be able to recenter and reset. That's what I really do when I go back to Dublin. So it's a blessing to be able to do that. You paint a picture of an incredibly close-knit family and obviously a, a happy childhood, Amber. Mm. Can you think back to your childhood? Had you an early sense of what you were interested in doing as a career? Was there any driving thought uh, in your childhood and early teens? Yeah, so, so you're right in that. I'm, I'm really lucky. My family are extremely loving and incredibly, incredibly supportive and really I really feel that that's helped me today in, in what I do and, and who I am. I always was growing up in the belief that I could do anything. And that as long as I put my mind to it and I worked hard, that, you know, the world was literally my oyster. And I think that is the biggest and amazing gift to be able to give to your kids and, and that belief. But even though sometimes that belief, you know, things sometimes don't come true. Life isn't always as, as you hope it to be. But to grow up, that that was the premise and that was the thoughts that my my family always had in my head was was a really amazing thing to grow up with and and yeah from a really really young age as long as I can remember you know I always ask my my nana when she's talking about me she always says Amber came out of the womb singing and dancing and performing and, and showing off <laughs> so yes I remember from a really young age my mum always sharing with me you know um classical films me being obsessed with the Hollywood movie stars the glamour of it all um, I remember when I was really young, I I did gymnastics for a very long time, which I loved. I loved that kind of fit, the physical element of gymnastics. And also that was, again, in, in, in a sense, was performing in certain elements as well. And it was through that that I got the opportunity to be an extra on a film that was shooting in Ireland in the 90s called The Reign of Fire. I don't know if you remember. So it was like a dragon film with I Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey and Christian Bale. And they basically needed little 10 year olds to be able to jump up on the backs of the men running through the fire so they just needed yeah girls who would be fine throwing themselves around physically and um so i got an opportunity to get onto that set 
And I just remember leaving being like, God, that was the most fun I've ever had. There was fake dragons. There was fire. There was people with so much personality around me. There was a buzz. And I came home that day and I just said, mom, if that's acting, if that's showbiz, whatever that is, I just want to be a part of it. And from that day forward, I really just became, I guess you could say obsessed really with the idea of being in amongst that world. But yeah, I always loved it from, from as long as I can remember. Amber, we'll talk in a moment the extraordinary success you've had in both acting and modelling, which in themselves are obviously really difficult careers to break into. But you talked about coming out of the womb, singing and dancing. You obviously wanted and enjoyed attention. Tell us about that day when you were 15, when you discovered a bald patch on your head. So from a very young age, like I mentioned, acting and modeling and that whole world was something that I knew that I wanted to be a part of. I always knew it was going to be a challenge, but I never would have, I never was going to let that challenge stop me. And as you can imagine, your looks are a big part of that, um, especially back in the noughties um, when I was modeling and, and acting, of course, as well. There was a certain look that was accepted and that being of a girl who was losing her hair was not the look that was a desirable one. So as you can imagine, when I was 15 in school, um, I went, in, I was in school in Loretto on the Green in town and one of my best friends, Ali, I remember we were in history class and she saw the little tiny patch at the back of my head. And I, and I remember when she told me and she got my finger and she placed my finger at the back of my head so I could feel it too, because I didn't believe it when she was saying it to me, it was just so bizarre and so alien. It just didn't make any, any sense. And there wasn't so much fear at the very beginning of realizing that I had a bald patch. It was really just more confusion than anything else, to be honest. So after that moment, obviously led me and my family to kind of go on the, the journey of figuring out what was going on. Because again, we were really confused and, and obviously scared and, and, and not sure. We thought I was unwell for a little while. We weren't sure. So we went to the doctors and they said it was alopecia, but they at the time said, you know, it was something to worry about. It's very common for girls going through adolescence that we shouldn't be nervous. It should be fine. It shouldn't get any worse. But obviously that wasn't the case. Unfortunately, the alopecia started getting worse and worse. And it got to a point really kind of a year later where I couldn't hide it anymore. You know, I, I'd gotten to a point where I was able to disguise it by, you know, covering it up with eyeshadow, the patches with, you know, brown eyeshadow or wearing a hairband or tying my hair up in certain ways. But um, after a certain amount of time, it got to a point where I couldn't hide it anymore. And as you can imagine, you're 15, you're not trying to stand out. You're trying to be, you know, a sheep. You're trying to just be amongst the, be amongst your peers and not be noticed in that way for sure anyway. And really just wants to be a normal teenage girl. And when that happened, it was absolutely devastating. And obviously, as I had such big, huge ambitions to be the next Kate Moss and Naomi Campbell and you know, God knows, Julia Roberts, you name it. Obviously, those dreams, when that first started happening within that first year, they began to slip away. And that was a real challenge. But I think from my alopecia, it taught me in an unhealthy way to not really deal with how bad of a feeling and how hurt I actually was. I think from from that point on, I, I learned how to suppress and to push down emotion. And I didn't actually feel uh, for a very long time um, until only really a few years ago. I really believe I began to really realize who I was and really be able to feel emotions because for a very, very long time, I believe due to my alopecia, I was too scared to feel the pain of what 
those kind of one of years when the alopecia did happen, it kind of just really, um, yeah, allowed me to block things out and get on with this was my mentality. I think that was my coping mechanism. It was my only way as a young girl to deal with this. And I wasn't ready to deep dive into it. I just put up some walls, pushed down the pain and, and carried on. You talk about the the vulnerability and you can clearly feel you're still in touch with the emotions you were feeling at the time. Did you feel you had to hide yourself, your inner landscape and your outer appearance in some ways? Yeah, two things. You know, when this was happening to me, I was a 15 year old girl. So when, when you think back, no one knows themselves when they're 15. So it was really a little bit of a mess. My emotional lands, uh, landscape for sure at that time was just all a bit jumbled and I really didn't know who or what or where I was. One good thing about my ambition, and I remember at one time I did this TV show back in Ireland called The Model Agent years ago, nearly 15 years ago. And I remember the judges saying to me, God, she has a steely ambition. And I think during that really, really difficult time, as much as I didn't think I was going to be able to model and to act, I still had belief somewhere in me that I could. And that belief and that passion for that outward thing, that career was the thing that made me think that everything was going to be okay. And and, and really was the driving force to kind of just to keep going and keep pushing and keep moving. And when you have alopecia, when it is falling out, of course, you know, I didn't want anyone to know, especially for the first. Now, I've, I've had alopecia now 15 years, so I, I can really say with the hand of my heart for the first 10 years, I wasn't comfortable with anyone knowing. So you do tend to live your life kind of, I think it's much harder to find your authentic self when you're not being completely honest with yourself for sure. Um, and that was a big part of my life was being nervous that people would find out. But in saying that, and in turn, it does force you to find your sense of self somewhere else because we use our hair as so much as a part of our identity so much in our life that when you lose your hair and you lose a big part of that part of you, you have to stop and find the you in you somewhere. So what I do think it allowed me to, to do that um, just in my own way and uh, perhaps a little bit later on in life for sure. Amber, hair was to become obviously part of your ultimate success. Why is hair so important for confidence? You know, I'm thinking as I talked to you about way back to Julius Caesar and the, the laurel wreath he used to wear to disguise his baldness. That's in a man. But why is hair so important in terms of confidence and identity? Yeah, it's a topic that I'm just so utterly fascinated by. And from what you're saying from back since day dot, hair has just meant so much to us and for men and for women. It back in the day used to be an identifier of who is a man, who is a woman, who is wealthy, who is not, who's a plebeian, who's, you know, a patrician. It just meant everything. And, and throughout the decades, you have skinheads. There's just so many different elements of it that hair also is a way to express yourself. It's a way to show the world who you are. We build whole facades around hair color. So you have the, the typical idea of what you think a blonde will be, what a redhead will be, what a person with black hair, with a bob, with bangs, you name it. We, we, we have all these ideas around hair and what that means. And throughout history and to this current day, women through no fault of our own, I think it's just through history and time and also media that hair is our source of, well, it's said to be our source of femininity and, and sexuality and long, luscious hair also is kind of like a sign to the world that we're almost fertile in a way without us realizing it. We're more attracted and drawn to these long, luscious locks because we read so much 
into those things. And also in a way, it's a shield, right? You know, I have absolutely no hair on my head. There's nowhere to hide. And I truly believe that hair can be, and for me, for a huge chunk of my life, my my hair pieces and my wigs, they become your shield. And if you've hair or no hair, you wear wigs or not, hair is a way to express who you are, to hide elements of yourself if you don't want to. And yeah, there's just so many facets of it. So when one loses it, it can be a huge, 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 just sadness and grief and loss, loss of sense, as you say, loss of identity. And you really have to do some deep work of trying to find yourself outside of your hair, you know. You talk about hair free days. Moving on, I'm just wondering, your ambition became to empower women to live their hair and beauty dreams without compromise. I'm interested in how that ambition took shape. And as you look at yourself, do your hair free days and your days where you are wearing a wig, does that enable you almost to take on different personas? You know, my relationship with who I am, which is a woman who is hair free and a woman who wears hair pieces, you know, I've been on a huge evolution and and, a revolution, whatever you want to call it. It's taken me such a long time to be comfortable and confident with who I am today. And I say with people who are on a hair free journey, you literally have to take it day by day, step by step as if you were to have asked me, you know, even five years ago, do, do I think, what would I be doing what I am now? And I would have said, hell no, I would have never have wanted to be on any magazine covers with it being hair free. I never would have wanted to have put that out there to the universe because I was scared of being judged. I never would have walked down the street hair free, got on the bus, you know, anything like that. I was truly terrified of putting that out there to the universe because I was just nervous that I wouldn't be accepted. And it really took me a long, long time to get to the point that, that I'm at now. And there was lots of pivotal moments within the past few years. I was a real help to that. You know, I went and I did a yoga teacher training for like three, four weeks and I refused to bring my wig with me. And I just thought, no, this is going to be a safe place for me to explore, find out who I am and really just try and release and let go and not have my wig, which is my safety blanket. And having those four weeks in a place where no one knew who I was, no friends around me, no nothing. And to my surprise, no one cared. You know, I had a few dodgy looks from the odd person, but of course I'm going to have looks because I do look different and, and that's okay. And becoming okay with that was a huge, big step and finding real love, finding a respect of being in a loving, respectful relationship and being with a man who loves me for truly who I am, who never wanted to change me. That was a huge, huge help. So that coinciding with me just on my own evolution and on my own journey over the past 10 years, taking baby steps really allowed me to get to the place where I am now, where I am comfortable being hair free. But like I said, it took me a very long time. So it got to a point around five years ago where I had lots of people contacting me who knew I had alopecia on social media. I'm asking me lots of different questions like, you know, how you do my eyebrows? Where do I get my wigs? My eyelashes? How do you have sex with wigs on? You name it. Tons of different kinds of questions. And I kind of thought, wouldn't it be really amazing to be able to put out all this information somewhere so I can save time replying back, but be able to put my all and my intimate thoughts and everything so I can give really thorough answers and help to these women from tutorials to just written blogs and put them all on a site. And um, so people will be able to just take that information and hopefully for it to be able to help. 
So that was around five years ago. And that was what came to be out of that was a platform called Hair Free. And there is, it's really just safe space for women and a community to ask those kind of questions and watch those tutorials and just feel like you're not alone. Because one of the main and the scariest things when you're going through hair loss is it's still a taboo. It's shifting and it is changing, but you feel like you're alone. You feel like you're going through it alone and you just want someone to be like, yeah, look, it's shit, but I get you and I'm here for you. And you know what? X, Y, and Z can help when you're going through those times as well. And so it was after Hair Free that I hadn't modeled Hair Free up to that point. And I remember setting up this blog and website where I posted my first picture of me hair free. And I remember, I think it was like a couple of weeks later, the lovely Tatler magazine in Ireland got in contact and they said that they'd love me to brace their covers of their um, front page of their magazine. And that was just an amazing, an amazing moment because when I had started modeling, started this podcast, the modeling industry wasn't ready for that. And now we're at a time in our life where people are being celebrated for who they are. There's beauty in all different shapes, forms, you name it. It's, it's, it's much, it's much more expansive now, which is, which is amazing. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be a part of that movement. And that was a big boost in confidence as well. And it was off the back of the hair free community that I was so sick and tired of not only myself being treated really badly by wig companies and anything from wig companies to, you know, buying scalp care, you name it. I was just so sick and tired of not being treated how I wanted to be treated. There was nothing lovely about the experience, nothing glamorous about the experience of buying a wig. I felt it was medicalized, dreary, uninspiring. If anything, they took advantage. They It just wasn't good enough. And I just felt like for women who are going through such hard times, why can we not just make their experience better? and good and safe and inspiring. So it was all really the back of that over the past, you know, five years of learning from the hair free community that I thought that I needed to do something about it and no better woman to start a business out of everything that I didn't get to have. I really just wanted to create a business selling beautiful products and holding women's hand every single step along the way, because I didn't have it. And I know what these people need, these women need. And what they need is just to be supported and be made feel beautiful, even though they're going through such a challenging and hard time. So it's been a real journey from from starting hair free to that turning into the evolution of my business now, which is Amber Jean. And the main premise of that is really just wanting to give the only peaceful, cool, modern, beautiful products to women, but to be able to authentically hold their hand and know that they're talking to someone on the other end of the phone who actually gets what they're going through, which I think is extremely important. Amber Jean, just one or two more questions, if that's okay. I'm thinking back to that moment. You're a 15 year old and obviously it took a lot of experience and a lot of courage and a lot of determination to evolve into the person you are now and the success story that you are now. Do you think that happened because you had alopecia or in spite of it? That's such a hard question to answer and it's a really good one. I genuinely do believe that I wouldn't be the person I am today if I hadn't have gone through alopecia. And um, I think for a couple of reasons, I think it made me work that little bit harder. It made me keep pushing against all odds in that way that I really just knew what I wanted. And I knew that I had this difference that perhaps wasn't going to be accepted, but through being me, being so grateful towards my family who kept saying to me, you know, don't let it stop you. You can't let it stop you. And me really believing that, I think that was a really, really great thing to have. And I do believe when you go something like, well, like when anyone goes through something that's kind of difficult, you become a little bit more 
empathetic. And I believe that that's obviously a good trait to have in life. And I, I do believe that that hurdle has made me a little bit more empathetic to different people going through different life journeys. And it's definitely helped me now with, with the work that I'm doing now to be able to understand and hopefully help other women along similar journeys to me. Amber, you've spoken about the challenges of around seeing yourself as a businesswoman. As you look back now and you've built a brand, you're very successful model. You've had a successful acting career. As you look back, what are the key lessons you've learned about building a business? Yeah. And a brand, I should add. Well, a couple of things to note. I couldn't have done it on my own, especially when I was first starting thinking to myself that I wanted to do something about the issues that I had and knew that that would mean building a business. I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified, but I knew what I wanted to do. There was a need for it because I knew that there were so many other women out there who needed what I needed. So I knew there was a demand for it and I knew I had passion for it. So I had those two things. I know I knew there was a need for it. And I knew that I had a burning passion to do, not only because I wanted to do for the other women out there, but I also wanted good wigs. I wanted a closet full of amazing wigs that I could pop on every single day. So there was those two driving factors. And also there's another point to add that, you know, for a very long time, for most of my life, because I have been in the entertainment industry in that sense that modeling and acting my career for a long time was kind of out of my hands and I knew I really wanted to be able to build something myself from scratch so no one could take it away from me and so that was a huge also big driver of setting up a business so I had two huge helpers when I was setting up the business just to kind of bounce ideas off my fiance Benjamin he's an entrepreneur himself he set up a really successful co-living business and being able to watch and observe him um, over the past five years of even how he deals with people his employees the jargon that he uses, even like the basic things like that, just being able to observe a man and a man with a business that I that I really respected was it was a was a big teacher. And more than anything, the main person who I really couldn't wouldn't be here without is my dad. When I first started speaking out loud that I wanted to do this business and I had this idea for a brand, he was amazing and he was there to really, you know, nurture that idea help me with that idea, brainstorm that idea and really kind of put the jigsaw puzzles together. So he was in a huge, massive help in terms of that. So I wouldn't be able to do without him. As as I mentioned, my whole life was modeling and acting. And I, I thought to myself, God, what am I doing? I couldn't, I couldn't be a business owner. And I remember at that time, it was during COVID when we set up our machine, it was 2020. And I hadn't done counseling in, in a few years. And I thought maybe now would be a good time to delve back into that because I did have a lot of things kind of coming up around self-worth and you know, I couldn't do things and I really wanted to kind of get on top of that. So I had a few sessions with a, with a wonderful life coach and we really kind of talked through those fears, which really helped at the beginning stages for sure, massively. So as much as, you know, I'm really proud of, of where we are today, but it's, I always think that these things, there's, it's a group effort and I'm very proud of where we are and where Amber Jean is at. And I believe we're making a difference, which is all anyone could ask for really in the work that they do for it to actually have meaning and have true purpose. Amber Jean, your passion and determination comes through. And in this final question, there's probably been threads of the answer in everything you've said. Change can come proactively, it can come reactively, and perhaps for you it came reactively and a crisis of confidence. If there was anyone listening who is thinking of making a change in their lives or in their careers and is challenged around confidence, mm. what advice would you offer them? Well, one advice that was given to me when I was starting up the business was, you know, take it day by day task by task, issue by issue, you know, business is just problem solving. So take it 
day by day. So I would say that in terms of the business side of things and in terms of the emotive, emotional, inner self side of things, you know, what really helped me through my darkest times was looking outside of myself, having passion for something else that could be anything from playing a game of tennis to, you know, going for a walk with your dog to giving to charity. Having a passion was so, so important to me when I was going through my darkest times because it just took me out of that moment of dread and fear. And it really allowed me to just sink my teeth into something which was, which was truly, truly important. And I'm a big believer in looking after your mental health. Obviously, it's something that's just incredibly important. So finding finding those things that really make you feel alive and make you feel useful from the inside, because I, I really believe if you're looking after yourself and you feel good in yourself, that's when confidence grows, when, you, when you're really able to look at yourself and say, yeah, I'm happy with you. And, and as cringy as it might be, that, but to love yourself is a really, really great place to be. And I think a lot of confidence just comes oozing out of you when that's the case. And when you've confidence, when you, and when you love for yourself, that's when I really believe that life kind of starts and life gets exciting. And when you're your best self in, in that form, then yeah, your world is is seriously your your oyster. And it's it's amazing what the universe can give back when you're when you're in that place within yourself. I think we've only scratched the surface, Amber Jean. We started talking about walks in the dunes with your dog and you mentioned <laughs> walking there again. As we finish up, I'm just curious, what's your dog's name? My dog's name's Reggie and he is a Ridgeback. So my parents thought I was absolutely mad getting a big dog, but he is the loves of our life. We love him very much. We take him for a big walk in the morning and then he sleeps next to me all day. So he's a, he's a terror, but a joy at the same breath. <laughs> I'm sure Reggie could not have a, a, a better owner given your own story, someone to look after him. And Regine, thank you so much for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Mark. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to A Pivotal Moment. My name is Mark Cahalan. I help businesses tell compelling stories to engage their stakeholders. I coach senior business leaders on systemic change and leadership. I partner business teams to help them drive high performance. And when business relationships go wrong, I help them all negotiate better ways of working together. You can find out more on my take on these topics at martelloleadership.com.